Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to America's Best Baseball Podcast. We take you behind the scenes in and around Major League Baseball with former big league manager Kevin Kennedy and veteran baseball broadcaster Rich Herrera. This is the only weekly podcast hosted by someone like Kennedy who played, coached, and managed in pro ball. So we can take you into the manager's office for a real insider's view of baseball alongside a veteran baseball broadcaster like Herrera who has covered the game from coast to coast. So let's talk some baseball with your hosts. Here they are. The skipper Kevin Kennedy and Rich Herrera. Welcome everybody to America's Best Baseball Podcast. Rich Herrera, Kevin Kennedy. Kevin, do you have asbestos gloves or or fire retardant suits to wear right now? Because we're going to talk about some people that are on fire that are so hot right now, uh, you get scorched just being in the same area code as them. Uh, no, I, I can tell you this. So there's uh, there's one team that's on fire. The whole team seems like they're on fire. I've never seen anything like it in my all the years I've been in baseball. I can't remember a team hotter than the Red Sox. Well, I was going to say, I well, I could go Red Sox. I could one up you and go Oakland A's in the West Coast, or I could go that kid down in Atlanta in uh, in Ronald Acuna. I mean, all of these guys are red hot right now. Well, I mean, for a season, I've never seen a team as, oh. uh, I mean, I, I, obviously I, I remember the Seattle Mariners with the record of what was a 116 wins. Right, and the but, Red Sox are on pace for 113. They got a shot at catching Lou Pinello's uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Mariners. But um, really following Boston, like I do, a little bit closer than I did Seattle, uh, I, I've never seen a team as, as, as deep maybe as this one right now. What will be a shame, I guess, for them is if they get knocked out in the first round like the Mariners did. Because once it starts, uh, once the playoff starts, it's it's all it's a new ball game. You know, as good as the Red Sox are, there's there's some other very good teams, and you just named one, the Oakland A's. Well, see, that's the part that for the Boston Red Sox, I hope. But Kevin, you've been there before, right? You've worked in Boston. When they start talking about the all-time records and this and that, and they're so intense. Um, I almost felt like the Seattle Mariners, and that was the year they outlasted the Angels and beat them. Um, I that was uh, '95. That 95. was the year that we uh, we helped knock them out. We beat the uh, we beat the Angels seven in a row that year, 1995. Yep. At the end of the year. So, but I, I go back to you know that that Mariners team that was so good. But then you can go to the Patriots team that was trying to go undefeated through the season and then win the Super Bowl. I hope that the Red Sox don't get caught up, or they try to throw. You know, chasing down that all-time record, like you know, with the Lakers, uh, you've seen that before, or the Warriors. Uh, how many games can you win? Because it almost exhausts you just to reach those expectations that someone else puts on you, rather than your expectations of winning a World Series. I don't think Alex Cora will do that. I don't think they'll worry about the record. I don't think Dave Dombrowski will, will worry about the record. I think he'll be more concerned about winning a ring in the World Series. I really do. I don't. I don't think he'll, you know, force his guys that are tired or banged up a little bit to play just to try to get that record. I think he'd rather have them ready for for the playoffs. I, I remember when, remember when Evan Longoria 
uh, sat out the last uh, couple of games because Joe Madden in, in 2010, I'm talking about, right? Because Joe Madden, <clears throat> excuse me, knew that they were already in the playoffs one way or the other. This is when there was uh, the single wild card, I believe, and um, and he sat Longoria, and he, he already knew he was in a, a situation where they were going to play five games either way. They just weren't going to play at home. So he sat Longoria because he had a strained hamstring, and Longoria right. wanted to play. I remember we were in Kansas City, yep. and it turned out that Carlos Pena hit a big double on the last day, and they won that game, and, they, and the Yankees ended up losing, and they ended up being um, the division winners anyway right. that year. So they did have home field advantage. But uh, I remember Joe said, I'm not going to worry about winning the division. I know we're going to play five games, best of five. I'm going to sit Longoria. I want him healthy for the playoffs. I think that's what Alex Cora is going to do with the Red Sox. Okay, so can I ask you about the job that Alex Cora is doing? And and I know it's August. I don't want to judge him too much, but I want to a little bit because that's what we do in the media. Yeah. Um, The job that he's done, because, you know, we've seen managers, and I'm thinking of Mike Matheny, who comes in, never managed before, takes over the Cardinals, Tony LaRusso's players, wins and was very, very successful, and then a couple of years later he's out on his rear end. So I look at the job that Cora's done with a core group of guys, really good players uh, that they had, um, but these are John Farrell's players from uh, from the last regime, a couple additions over there. So, you know, sometimes you want to give credit to the other manager. Oh, you're just winning with the stuff that you walked into your office already having. Others like, oh, no, he changed the whole culture and changed everything around. I'm just impressed with Cora because it's not like they've had no injuries and everything's gone right and it's a it's a Hollywood table with a tale with no distractions and no injuries. I mean, he's had some ups and downs. He's had uh, David Price. He's had some injuries. Uh, he's uh, El- Ellsbury's not there right now. I mean, he he has not had the easiest way, and he's just got that team playing so well. Well, I think it's a combination of things. You know, people used to say about Cito Gaston when he won two championships in the 90s, 92 and 93. Uh, he never got enough credit for that because he had a set lineup. But you still had to manage the game. You still had to run the game. You still had to know how to move runners and do things that in-game management was still important. Those guys didn't do things by themselves. Not everybody was on their own. The pitchers didn't uh, just say, hey, I'm coming out now and tell Cito what they're doing. Um, he still managed a great bullpen. Yes, he had great players, and that's the design of the, of the front office and the ownership that allowed you to have those players. It's the same thing with the Red Sox. You go out and sign J.D. Martinez. It makes a manager look awfully good. It makes an organization <laughs> look awfully good. Right. But but you have to have good players, good scouts, guys that came from the organization to begin with, the core that's, that surrounds them, and then the guys that you add to it. Yeah, I mean, you go out and get a Chris Sale. You go out and get a David Price. You go out and uh, – and sign a J.D. Martinez, just to name a few, and it makes it makes the manager look awfully good. So you knew that going in, but it's it's hard sometimes. Sometimes it can be harder to manage a team that's expected to win than it is a team that doesn't have any expectations. Expectations, expectations will drag you down. And, I mean, the way the Boston Red Sox are playing, they are just on fire right now. There's a swing and a drive to right field, deep by hole, way back. And Brock Holt is in a pinch hit home run to give the Red Sox a 2-1 lead. Can you believe it? Brock aggressive, swinging at the first pitch, goes deep. His second home run on this trip is third of the year. So now Rick can get a win. A pinch home run by Brock Holt for the Red Sox. Their first pinch hit home run of the year. Pinch hitters have been six for 39. 
Highlight courtesy of the Boston Red Sox Radio Network. So, Skip, we've been talking about that team that's been red hot, but over on the east or over on the west coast, I should say, there's a team that plays up in Oakland, green and gold, uh, rooted in Oakland. Uh, they're on fire right now. One, two, swung on and crushed a deep left. Marcus Simeon having quite a night at the expense of Tyler Skaggs. Past the bullpen in the seats and gone. He's three for three tonight. Just hit his second home run of the evening. And the A's have scored in four consecutive innings. And they lead six to nothing. That was uh, gone in the blink of an eye. Home run number nine for Simeon. It's really been quite a complete effort by a ball club that is showing why they're 20 games over 500. And that's the eight. Thousandth home run hit in A's history belongs to Marcus Simeon. Yeah, Oakland history. Oakland yeah. history. Yeah. Highlight, of course, uh, the earlier highlight courtesy of the Red Sox radio network. This highlight courtesy of the Oakland A's radio network. And Kevin, we talked about expectations. Red Sox had some, not as much because the Yankees had made so many moves and they brought in Stanton to go with Judge, but certainly there was Red Sox expectations. There were no expectations in Oakland. None of us ever predicted the Oakland A's were going to be as good as they are right now. Um, I want to get your thought on what Melvin and crew have done in Oakland to bring themselves. They're within a game of running down the defending champion Houston Astros. We thought were bound to go back to the World Series at one point. Well, you know, if the Oakland A's take that division, there's a real question who's the manager of the year should be. Should it be Alex Cora? Uh, who's had, you know, perhaps the best, well, it's the best start the Red Sox in their history have ever had. I shouldn't say start because it's three quarters of the way through right now. <laughs> and, they're, and they're running down that, 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 that historic Seattle Mariner Club. Right. So, I mean, if they pass that 116 mark, I mean, is it Alex Cora, manager of the year, or is it Bob Melvin for a team that was supposed to do nothing by all the, the so-called national analysts' uh, point of view? Like you and me. We didn't say, we didn't uh, call the Oakland well, well, no, we didn't call them. I didn't pick them, but you, you have to break down the talent and watch them. You know, I, I, it's hard for me to analyze a team unless I know them and unless I've seen them. That's why I've always said, Rich, uh, I don't like to evaluate a player just on his stats. I like to evaluate him in person. Mm-hmm. That's the only way to scout for me. I don't believe in TV scouting for a team. I believe um, <laughs> that's that's the easy way out. That's the cheap way out. I believe you got to see guys in person, and you, you learn an awful lot more. Learn about, learn about tendencies. You learn about what they do when the camera's not on them. You can watch their, their body language. A lot of things you can learn about a guy by watching him in person for a few days, or more than that, by the way. And that's what I learned when I, when I first saw Chase Hutley. I knew he was a good player by stats. I knew he was a good player by watching him in the playoffs. But I didn't know really how good he was all the way around until I saw him every day the last two years in L.A. So same thing for Bob Melvin. The reason Bob Melvin knew it, and he said this recently, he said a lot of people didn't know who the young guys were that all came up together. We've had a lot of high draft picks because we finished down in our division so much and down in the American League. So we've had high draft picks that moved up the ladder together and won in the minor leagues, and now they're winning up here. And that's, that's really, that really says something. Bob Melvin knew. And, it's, and you can even go to Gabe Kapler saying it about the Philadelphia Phillies, even though he came from the Dodgers system that he really felt, and I don't think he was just blowing smoke, he really felt the Phillies could compete for the division this year, and a lot of people laughed at him. I, I knew they were good because I've seen them the last few years. I happen to have been on the trips where we do the Philly games, and I see, and I would, including this year, and I knew the Phillies were only a couple of players away, a couple of pitchers especially away 
from being a contending team and a really good team, a wild card team. I didn't think they'd be contending for the division, though. So that's another team that's been pretty hot. And Atlanta's another one that's been pretty hot. But Oakland, he was on that that team was on nobody's radar in mm. baseball to, to be where they are right now. It's it's a surprise. And I said this the other day on a local show, and I said this, uh, I think I've said it on our podcast, the Astros are worried, have to be worried, because they've got key players out right now still. And that, those guys are impact players that they're missing. And the, the guys that they have replacing them are okay. They've done all right. But um, they don't have a 10-game lead like the Red Sox do, for example, over the Yankees. They don't have that kind of leeway where you know they could lose – you know, seven out of 10 games and still be all right. They lose seven out of their next 10. They might be looking up at Oakland and they might be looking up at Seattle too. So I wanted to bring up one of the guys that's been red hot, uh, Kevin, and as we're taping this, he just got drilled and there was a benches clearing uh, event uh, between the Marlins and the, uh, in the uh, Braves. Let's take right. a listen. Okay. Acuna has led off the game with home runs each of the first three contests in this series. He's homered in five consecutive games. The wine by Urania, first pitch, hit him. Uh-oh, drilled him in the left elbow. Acuna walking in the direction of Urania, and now he stops. He's in a lot of pain. And now he'll turn and walk back into foul territory toward the Marlins dugout. And the Braves are coming out onto the field, and the Marlins are coming out onto the field. Brian Snitker's right in the middle of it, barking at Jose Urania. Acuna is in a catcher's squat in the third baseline. Bullpens are empty, and it's a lot of milling around on the pitcher's mound. He could hardly move his left hand. That's not good. And he is on the ground in deep agony. And Brian Snitker, I think, is being told now by the umpires that there's going to be a warning for both benches. And now he's angry because he wants a little old school. It, yes, he does. Let us handle it, not yep. you. Yeah, stay out of it. And Acuna looks like he's going to go run at first base. And Brian Snitker's going back in the direction of Urania. And the umpires are building a wall between Snitker and Urania, and Snitker is livid. Snitker has been thrown out, and here they come again. The bench is empty. The bullpens come in. And I think the Braves' feeling is, hey, if you're going to warn us so we can't do anything about it between the lines, we'll do it right now. And once again, both teams in the middle of the diamond. They're waiting to see what the verdict is going to be from the quartet call the umpire. They're warning both dugouts. Now here comes Don Mattingly. They pointed in the Marlins dugout and indicated somebody was ejected. I think it's Urania. Mattingly came out. His first words were something to do with bovine excretia. <laughs> well, the umpires, they, they tinkered with the rule a few years back where the umpires, they don't have to have warnings to start throwing people out. If they decide that there's intent, they are free to do as they see fit. And in this case, they apparently have decided like that Urania did it on Braves purpose, radio network. and he's so out Ronald of the game. Acuna's uh, bid for yet another <laughs> leadoff homer quickly evaporated. I'm reading from MLB.com. Uh, Jose Urena uh, hit him with the first-pitch fastball, creating a benches-clearing confrontation during the first inning Wednesday's game between the Braves and the Marlins. Then later, uh, after he, uh, he got hit with a 97-mile-an-hour fastball in the elbow, 
The Braves' 22-year-old phenom, again, this is from MLB.com, remained on the ground. Both benches cleared. Uh, after orders are stored, Acuna made his way towards first base and tossed a shin guard towards the Marlins pitcher. It led to another exchange. Uh, Brian Snitaker uh, screaming at the Marlins hurler. Uh, both benches cleared. No punches were thrown. But, I mean, listen, this guy, first of all, let's just talk about Acuna and how good he is and in what you think of this tear that he's on right now, Kevin. Well, he was a preseason pick for to be the rookie of the year in baseball. Uh, around the National League. He really was. Now, that was one guy that a lot of analysts got right, that he was a guy that that was going to be an impact player, best overall prospect in the minor leagues by a lot of people's uh, feelings. And I've read about that. I didn't know him before. I hadn't seen him until obviously watching the Braves a lot, as I've been doing, and and seeing that team both in L.A. and on the road. And uh, he's a special talent. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And what he's done lately is incredible. He's done something nobody's ever done before, and I can guarantee you that being hit in the first uh, inning uh, leading off there was intentional, and that's that's why Brant Snitker would be mad, and that's why Acuna would be mad because uh, I, I, I'm not going to blame anybody uh, by name because I don't know for sure who, who uh, ordered it, but I would think that if I were the manager – let me just put it this way. I'll put myself in the, their shoes as a Marlin manager. If I right. were the manager and the guy kept breaking records on, I would say, li- listen, guys, I wouldn't say go hit a guy, though, and hurt a guy. I would say, listen, he's getting cookies right down the middle to open the ball game. Are we going to be smart and not throw him a fastball first pitch or at least try to get him off the plate and maybe uh, make him, uh, you know, see some dirt on the seat of his pants? I mean, he's so or- locked in, right? Yeah, yeah, you just gotta you gotta change the eyesight. You gotta do something different, and that's probably what Don Mattingly said. I don't know that Don or his staff would have said, Drilling. "Hey, we gotta drill this guy in the first inning." But a lot of guys, because of what's going on today with this, everybody's trying to throw ninety-eight miles an hour. A lot of guys, I've said this before on, on many of our podcasts over the last couple of years, Rich, because of the way this launch angle thing that's going on today, and the strikeouts are okay today. Pitchers try to go up on guys because they have these launch angle type swings and they don't know how to pitch in because of it. They really don't. They don't pitch both sides of the plate. They just think, well, I can get a guy up high and that's good enough. And if I can go up and in, that's even better because I can really tie him up and he'll swing underneath it. So I'm not saying that's what Arena was doing right there. I've seen him before. He's a good pitcher with a good arm. I've seen him pitch really well and I've seen him pitch, you know, really bad, but he's got a pretty good future. But to hit a guy because he's had success against you, your team and, he, and he's breaking records in the National League, if that was intentional to actually go drill him, to me that's unacceptable. And um, that should because, be a long okay, suspension. Okay, so let me let me back up for a second with folks about this because there's folks like, well, I'm, I'm not really sure where you guys are going with this. If, if, if a hitter is that comfortable in the box that he's not thinking about anything other than teeing off, right? He's just looking dead red, launch angle. He's right. not. He's not. He's, right. He has no fear in the box. And I'm not saying the guys are afraid, but he, he's there's he, he's so focused. He's not thinking about anything else other than taking you deep. Then it's your job as a pitcher to make him less comfortable. Because what is pitching? It's disrupting timing. What is hitting? It's timing. So if I'm a good pitcher, I disrupt your timing. Um, I don't have to drill you with a 97 mile an hour fastball on the elbow. But I can make sure that I that I throw and make you get out of the way. I dust you. I get you dirty. I make you move your feet. I just give you something else to think about so you're not so locked in. Is that what we're talking about? 
That's exactly what we're talking about. And I can even go back to spring training where uh, Justin Turner got hit on a, a fastball up and in. A guy was trying to go against him uh, up and in. Um, it was a pitcher with the Oakland A's. I don't even think he's on the team now. But um, point being, uh, he just didn't know how to get up and in. And, and he ends up hitting Justin Turner. And Justin missed, what, six weeks because of it. It wasn't intentional. It was because, and this is something I talked with Mark Gubaza about. Yeah, we've talked about this in the podcast. Yeah, uh, Angel Broadcaster talked about this. We were talking about it in spring training. You're going to see a lot of guys get hurt up and in because, number one, you're not going to know if it's intentional, and it's because a lot of guys don't know how to pitch up and in in today's game because we don't throw sinkers anymore as much. We don't, we don't go side to side down. We go north and south more and, and in up. We go in up with fastballs or north or north and south with fastballs, but we don't go side to side with with sliders and sinkers and all that. Right. And and consequently, guys that are trying to throw up that are single ball pitchers that haven't done it before, a lot of times the ball gets they gets out of their hand and uh, and they miss badly. Kenley Jansen's been trying to do that prior to him getting uh, this this um, AFib that he's had. Right. He's been throwing the ball up on on through seam fastballs more which he had never done, and consequently, he's missed badly with those. And I know we were in San Diego. I was working that, that trip, but we were in San Diego. I did 11 games in a row, and I'd never seen him do that. And I even said Rick Honeycutt went out to the mound like they were playing the Padres, uh, Rich, and it was a game that uh, it took 29 pitches to get the save. I remember that. And Villanueva was up, and if Villanueva hits the ball out of the ballpark with the runner at first, the Padres would have won if he flies out or makes an out or strikes out. Uh, the Dodgers went. Well, they were trying to get him out up, and Rick Honeycutt finally went out to the mound uh, because Kenley was missing that whole inning up with fastballs, not cutters. And I know he went out there and said, you know what, win it or lose it with your cutter. I know that's what he said because that's all he threw to, to Villanueva, the rest, that, that at strength. bat. Go to your strength. And he ends up getting him to fly out to right field. But I had never seen Kenley do that because that hasn't been what Kenley's about. Kenley's been a cutter pitcher, cutter, 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 slider down, um, two-seamer away from lefties, two-seam fastball at 96 away. Not a four-seamer, it's a two-seamer. People think it's a four-seamer, the straight pitch he throws. Right. It's not. It's a two-seam grip. <laughs> he can't throw it straight. And he, and he throws it away from lefties. He gets them off his cutter. But he's never been a guy that pitches north and south. Okay, so what, so- what I'm saying is it got him out of his rhythm. And, you know, he almost hit a couple guys, by the way. And it wouldn't have been intentional, by the way, because it's command – over the years, it's been exceptional, as you know. So I'm just giving you an example right. well, of a guy. that's why he's not so, a catcher anymore, because he, he's got that cut. Right, right, exactly. His ball cut naturally. In fact, he said he had to throw from his knees to keep the ball straight. That's why <laughs> That's why he threw from his knees when he was a catcher with, uh, with t- what was it, Team Netherlands? Or, Team Netherlands, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so there's two things, I think. Number one, pitchers don't know how to throw inside. Right, and I think we've they don't. Seen they don't. They don't do it as much anymore, and they don't. They don't know how to get in there without hitting a guy, right? Or or making a mistake. That's the other part of it. There, some guys are afraid to go in, and so they leave it out over the plate. And it becomes a home run pitch, and then other guys, well, they don't know how to get in there without hitting a guy, and consequently they just go way in and they hit a guy in the ribs or hit a guy in the wrist and they break break somebody's arm and he's out for the rest of the year. Things like that are happening. But on the other hand, I also think that hitters don't know how to get out of the way. When they're diving over the plate and they're and they're working their launch angle, I mean, back in the day, Willie Mays used to get dusted. Every great hitter got knocked on his on his rear end. That's it was right. Part of the game. Now, if if you're standing up there and you're, um, give me a big slugger today. He's not prepared to. He's not prepared to get uh, knocked on his rear end. And if he does, then he takes offense and he, he's going to stare you down. How dare you throw inside on me? 
Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, how many big power hitters do you see today? I mean, even Bryce Harper. I don't see Bryce Harper get knocked down. I, I see him I'd walk. Not, I'd, I'd have, if I was a manager, as a general manager, I owned a team. When I win the lottery, Kevin, and, uh, and I give you whatever job you want in, in the organization, I'm going to tell you, hey, make sure these guys take the inside of the plate and make sure that nobody sits there and is swinging for the downs because they're so comfortable because they don't think we're going to bust them up and in. Absolutely. I, I, I don't see Bryce Harper, and I'm not, I'm not promoting that. I'm just saying I don't see it. I see them pitching around him. him a lot. We didn't say hit him, did we? No. No, I said I, make exactly. them uncomfortable, no. disrupt their timing. Last year, last year, I didn't see Cody Bellinger when he was hitting 39 home runs. I never saw him um, pitched in where he had to sit on his pants for a minute. I saw he, I saw them try to go up and in to strike him out, and if they missed it, it was a home run. I saw a lot of guys that didn't know how to do that go up and in, and a lot of guys left it down the middle. And, and uh, I looked at the location of the catcher. I looked at the sign he was giving. I could see he was trying to go fastball in. And consequently, they'd miss. They'd miss belt high rather than shoulder high, and, and it'd be a home run. I mean, I but I, and I'm not promoting him being knocked down. I'm just making a point. When a guy was hot like that last year, another rookie, rookie of the year, as a matter of fact, right. I never, I never saw anybody say, you know what, um, uh, uh, this kid's too hot. I'm going to have to sit him down on his pants, or I'm going to have to make his move his feet, something like that. You just, you just don't see it anymore. Like you said, Willie Mays. When Mays faced Drysdale, he knew he was going down two times a game. And he didn't have a problem with it. He got up and went a home run opposite field. That's what he would do. Yeah, he, did. Well, he knew it. Absolutely knew it. Okay, so you watch Max Muncie come out of nowhere and get red hot. How many people? I've never, I've never seen him. I've never seen him get hit or okay. knocked down. Or knocked down or thrown inside or just disrupt his timing. Um, we don't see it with Bryce Harper. Carpenter's hot right now with St. Louis. Do you ever see anybody no. you know, uh, not push him off the plate? No. It's just no. one of those things that it perplexes me. No. And, no. and I'd love to know why. I mean, the guys that are on the plate get hit. Uh, Justin Turner gets hit a lot. He is on the plate. Right. He's got his back foot close to the plate with that open stance. He's got that covered, and that's why he hits the outside pitch to right field so well because it's like it's right down the middle to him. Uh, but when he's got his timing down, he can turn on the inside pitch. But I see him get hit a lot, um, not intentionally. I just see guys miss because he's on the plate, and I see them trying to go inside, and they're not able to have command inside, and they miss, and they hit him. And that's really what happened that day in spring training when he got hit and, and he broke his wrist because he's on the plate. But guys that are even off the plate and, and are hitting home runs and diving, like you say, that are divers with the front foot, Justin's not a diver. He has the open stance and his, 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 his lead leg at the, uh, the, with a leg kick. He's in stride perpendicular toward the pitcher. Both feet are aligned. Right. He doesn't dive across the plate like a lot of guys do. And, and when guys do that, um, that's when you can really stand them up. That's, those guys, I don't see anybody putting them on their pants at all. You know? And they don't know how to do it, a lot of the guys. Okay, so let me ask you this. In this ball game, and we don't have the crystal ball because this happened early in the ball game. It was just breaking news as we're recording. But our that, podcast. but that, hearing that and not not seeing it yet, and I will after the podcast because it happened as we were talking. Uh, when I do see that, I guarantee it was intentional. So uh, I bet I bet he said, you know what, I'll pitch inside, but if I hit him, I'm not going to worry about it. And I bet you that was the, the thought process. Okay, but so I, I guarantee you, I'm not going to let him hit the hit him. I guarantee you, I'm going to throw a pitch that he can't hit. Let's I, let's put it that way. I guarantee you, that was the mindset. Okay, so let me ask you this. And what I'm going to go inside with it, not outside. What do the Braves need to do? I, I'd retaliate. That's just the way I would. I'd retaliate. I'd retaliate on their best player. And I wouldn't hit them. I would just go in and, and dust them and sit, sit them down in their pants. That's what I would do. That's what I did do. So I'm just admitting what I did do back when I managed in the big leagues. <laughs> so I wouldn't, 
I would take that. <laughs> no, I, I. that's why I ask, because this is one of the other things people will ask. And by the way, as I watched the highlight, uh, the catcher set up right down the middle, right down the middle. Yeah, uh, was the pitch, and it came. He didn't want to give it in. away. Yeah, didn't want to give it away. Didn't so. want to give it away. That was already game planned uh, before the game started. That hey, you know what? Today, this kid's not hitting. This kid's not making contact in the first inning today, or on the first pitch. He's not. He's not making contact. Let's just put it that way. And that's all you have to say to your pitcher, and he gets the message. Right. It's too bad you have to say that, but I guarantee you something to that effect probably was said. Uh, because when I had guys like Clemens or Nolan Ryan, you didn't have to say anything. They would never let that happen. What they happens would just, if you don't retaliate? You, you talk about people talk about it like we are. You know, I, I talk about teams that just won't do it at all, and it's just shocking to me that you're allowed your, your tails to get waxed. When I see guys, you know, hitting the ball and hitting, scoring 21 runs, I've seen a lot of 21 to five games this year. Around Major League Baseball, I saw the Dodgers do it once for 21 runs. I saw, um, I saw the Brewers score 20. I saw a couple teams score 20 runs, and I've watched those games, and I never saw any uncomfortable hitters in that whole game for the whole game, or the next day, or the next day after that. And I'm not promoting hitting. I'm not saying that. So I don't want people to get the wrong message. I'm just talking about pitching inside, effectively off the plate. And if you miss, you don't miss to hit them. You miss, so he has to move his feet. That's what and, you. That's again, how you miss. Because guys get so. I mean, you're scoring 21 runs. You're not thinking anything. You're just going up there like this is batting practice. They're just throwing the ball. Let's all just swing away. Well, that's why we've seen so many pitchers on the mound that are regulars, that are everyday players, more than ever in the history of our game. That's why we've seen it. Milwaukee did it twice in a week against the Dodgers. Hernan Perez. Threw more innings than some of their relievers. He threw two innings one game, and then at Dodger Stadium he threw another inning, and their catcher, Eric Kratz, threw uh, twice against us as well, against the Dodgers as well. I've never seen that before, ever. In, in, in two back-to-back series within 10 days, Milwaukee at there and Milwaukee at home, I've never seen them have to use anybody ever have to use an everyday player in two games, on, on blowout I mean, games. But, but we're happens. seeing it. Rarely happens, but we're seeing it across Major League Baseball all over the place, and a lot of it to me is because of uh, of the nature of the game today. Something Cal Ripken said uh, recently that I thought was interesting. I'll bring up as it pertains to this. He's not against the shift. He said, you know, I don't think Major League Baseball should change that, but I, he said I do think in time the strikeout is going to be not as acceptable by uh, managers as it is right now. It's not just another out. I think they're going to realize that in the playoffs you can't do that and win. You have to have productive outs. He said that the uh, Houston Astros were the uh, team that struck out the less, uh, the least in Major League Baseball last year, and they moved runners and made things happen and went the other way besides hitting home runs, and, and they won the ring. And he said, I think more teams are going to follow that and not accept just guys swinging from their tail with two strikes anymore, um, one through eight or one through nine in a lineup. And I think that's a valid point that he made. And he said if – if hitters don't adjust on the shift, then that's their own problem. But he said, I don't think uh, MLB should take the shift away. He said, as a matter of fact, and I agree with him, I'm seeing t- teams not overshift as much as they did in the uh, previous years. And I, I do agree with that. I'm seeing the same thing. Well, if you looked at it, there was uh, something that came out the other day of the highest paid players in baseball. The DH is the highest paid because that's the guy who drives in the runs. He's the guy who hits the home runs, but also – a lot of ball clubs, you get those big free swingers. They're also the ones that strike out the most. So I'm wondering when somebody's going to figure out that if we say that outs are so precious, there's only 27 of them, and we won't sacrifice because we don't want to give up one of those 
precious 27 outs, how long is it going to be before some saver nutrition figures out, well, you know what, that slugging percentage is that good, is good and that OPS is good and all the rest of that stuff, but if I've got a guy that's giving up one of those precious 27 outs because he's such a free swinger, is that really worth it? Well, do they also break it down uh, to the pitcher, too? Do they break it down to the game situation? Do they break it down to the playoff teams? You know, when they talk about a team striking out, you know, 12 times a game and only putting the ball in play 15 times, is that enough to, to score enough runs for that offense against better pitching? Right. And I think that was Cal Ripken's point, and I agree with him. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, we'll see what happens with uh, Cunha. And it was interesting because I had him on my list of people to talk about. Um, well, what you don't want, what you don't want, final point, is you don't want a kid getting hurt now for the rest of the year. That's that's the problem with when you do that, whether right. it be intentional okay. he, he or not. Up, he got up, he walked over to first base. It doesn't look like there's, there's but, any issues. He's going to stay in the game. But point being, whether it's intentional or not, if you're going to do it, learn how to do it the right way and not hit a guy. If you're trying to hit a guy, that's one thing. But if you're, if you're trying to pitch inside and not hurt a guy, then learn how to do it. And, and do something that we used to do at Dodger Town way back when in the 80s. And put up a, a stick figure. And, and we, ta- we, we taught guys, a scarecrow, how to pitch inside in spring training and in instructional league. We actually used, we actually used a scarecrow uh, standing up there so guys knew how to pitch in off the plate or in on the inside corner without hitting a guy. I got an idea. Um, I could sell this uh, as a sponsorship for a ball club. You could have a season ticket holder come in wearing Kevlar and and have an experience. Hey, by by the way, I do want to finish up with uh, uh, Raul Acuna and one other player that I want to talk about before we're done today. Um, When do I get to get excited about a kid that just tearing the cover off the ball and I I don't get caught up in the hype, but I get really excited because this guy can play? Oh, I think this is deep enough. When you're this deep into the season, uh, whether it be a team like the Oakland A's, people are saying, well, are they for real? Are they for real? I said, they're for real. I mean, the season actually starts, the, the sprint starts August the 15th in Major League Baseball. That's when they always used to say, well, the, the real sprint of the season, it's not a marathon anymore, it's a sprint. It starts now. Well, those teams that are battling for first place and for a wild card, they're for real. They are what they are. They are what they says their record is right now because they've pretty much played everybody. Now, what you find out in September with kids like you're talking about that are good kids having a good years is can they handle the pressure of the pennant race when it comes down to the final couple of weeks? That's what you really find out. Maybe the final three weeks. That's when you find out, you know, what, what these kids are really about. Can they really stand up? I had no more Garcia Parr. I called him up in September of 96 in a pennant race. I put him in the five spot and he was there every day. And all he did was hit home runs and, and did everything that he did. The rest of his career and uh, I put him in I think he got 100 at bats because I knew he was a college player a little bit more mature and he was not afraid of the big moment in Boston let me just put it that way from from the day he stepped onto a big league uh, stage in fact his second at bat in the big leagues he homered against Oakland in Oakland so that's what you find out September is a good time to find out about some of these guys you know when they're when they're in the pennant race because when you're not in a pennant race rich um, a lot of guys can put up numbers just by, you know, not having a good team. You can get selfish and put up your own numbers. But when you're in a pennant race and teams are counting on you to be a big part of it, that's when you find out what guys are really all about. So I think there's, you know, still time. I mean, I say now is the time they've already proved it. But really, it's it's if you're in the race, it's these final six weeks. That's what you find out what these kids are all about. Okay, I do have to ask you about one guy because I'm going to completely I'm going to completely steal this and use this on the radio in San Diego. Um, Will Myers. Moving yet again. Came up as a catcher, played in the outfield, went to first base, went back to the outfield. Now they're moving over to third base. How hard is it 
for guys to move positions from one to the outfield to the infield to each corner? Well, I think being a catcher actually helps you play the corners because I was a catcher, but I always took infield at third base. I actually played some first base as a freshman at San Diego State. A lot of catchers end up playing the corners later on in their career. Johnny Bench did. He became a third baseman after he couldn't catch anymore. Um, There's a lot of guys that have done that in their career. So I think for Will Myers being a good athlete, I mean, there's not too many catchers other than I can think Dale Murphy and Craig Biggio come to mind. They can go from being a catcher and play center field, which is what Will Myers did for a point in time. But I saw him play third the other day, and he looked like he handled it fine. And I think you know, I think it goes back to the, the your best athletes are up the middle of the up the middle of the yeah. game, and the catcher, the second baseman, yeah. the shortstop, and the center fielder. Yeah, and the catcher is not a guy. I mean, you take Pudge Rodriguez. If we wanted to put Pudge at shortstop, we could have done it. If we wanted to put Pudge in center field, he he stole bases for us in Texas. He was fast enough to do it. He could have played shortstop in center field. But he was so good behind the plate, who could get him? Who wanted him anywhere else? So, um, Dale Murphy, I played against Dale Murphy in the minor leagues. I remember he was a catcher that had a rocket for an arm and trouble throwing accurately uh, to, to second. In fact, he would hit his pitcher sometime. You know, his pitcher would be diving off the mound. He'd hit him right in the tail section. And so they finally moved him to the outfield, and he was a great center fielder with the Atlanta Braves. So there's been guys that have done that. And Will Myers has that kind of body, more like a Dale Murphy type body than he does a. Uh, a, a pudgy type catcher. Let's just put it that way. Now, not that Pudge was pudgy, but that's where he, that's where he got his nickname from, Yvonne Rodriguez. Well, and remember when he was younger, right? And you've got um, Buster Posey out in the National League West. He was a converted catcher at Florida State. And now, you know, you're starting to see him move towards uh, first. Well, he base. played. He played shortstop and closed. Right, right, right exactly. And uh, that big guy that resembles me a little bit in the waistline, Kung Fu Panda, was a catcher and moved over to third. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, right. Exactly. So um, I think there's something to that. The fact that, you know, you're, you're playing that position, that tells you, number one, you probably had pretty good hands. And number two, you probably got a pretty good arm. And if you're a catcher, you've got a corner infielder's arm that throw across the infields the same distance, basically. So I think that's why it works for Will Myers. And it makes sense that he could play both corners in the infield. More so for me than the outfield, actually. I liked him better. I like him better at first base when I've seen him uh, recently uh, than I did in the outfield. There you go. All right, everybody, that's going to do our podcast for today. We appreciate it. Don't forget you can figure out where to find us on Twitter. Kevin Kennedy MLB is his Twitter handle. Mine is RBI Rich. We'll be back with two more episodes of our podcast next week. Skip, enjoy the games this week. Up in Seattle, got some big ones. So we'll talk to you next week right here on America's Best Baseball Podcast. Thanks for joining us for America's Best Baseball Podcast. Our podcast was produced by Braden Suppernant. Find us on Facebook at America's Best Baseball Podcast. You can find Kevin at Kevin Kennedy MLB on Twitter, and you can find Rich on Twitter at RBI Rich. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.